0: In this roundtable discussion, I'm joined once again by my sister, Kay Callum. How are you doing tonight?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. We are going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Percy Jackson and the Olympians, the Lightning Thief. And I want to clarify that we're doing it based on the movie. Like any good book report, I didn't read the book. (laughs) Um, We're doing this for a couple of reasons. One, this is something that was recommended to uh, to us by some friends of ours as uh, edutainment for uh, the cruise we're taking um, here in June uh, over to, to Rome and, and Italy and stuff like that. We're going to go see the Parthenon and stuff like that.
1: We'll be in Athens, Greece.
0: Athens, Greece. So just from that point of view, just it was a, a, a fun little touchstone mm-hmm. sort of a deal. But the other reason we're covering it is um, I don't know that they've done any movies, or any uh, uh, comics based on this. Well, I'm thinking they might have. I need to double-check that. I didn't think to look that up. Um, there was... I, I think they may have, actually. There was something I'm thinking... I can't remember the title. Anyways, uh, regardless of whether they did or not, the uh, the gods of Olympus are cultural touchstones um, in a, a large respect for for the comic book genre. I mean, you've got you know, some of these being uh, literal characters in like Wonder Woman and, and so forth. In other cases, they are providing powers, you know, Zeus for Shazam, um, or at least the inspiration. For... There's a
1: graphic novel of The Lightning Thief. When was that done? Um, boy. And,
0: and by which publisher?
1: You go for the hard questions right out of the gate. Uh, Disney Publishing Worldwide in 2013. Age range 9
0: to 12. Uh, I don't think I've got that. I may be thinking wizards and something else that was similar enough. Um, But again, it's the sort of material that would would have a comic book connection. And again, like I said, the Olympic gods, or gods of Olympus and stuff, um, and the demigods. I mean, Hermes is very much the inspiration for the Golden Age Flash. Um, Hercules is a, a character that's been in both Marvel and DC um, certain uh, various other independent books have been based around these gods themselves.
1: Well, and so much of the ancient Roman and Greek architecture has influenced not only our architecture in mm-hmm. the United States in terms of government buildings and major buildings, but as a result, it seems to get into the art of comic books.
0: Well, you take the classic Hall of Justice from the Super Friends cartoon and you plunk it down in, in ancient you know, Rome or whatever,
1: it would more or less kinda of fit. Yeah. I mean I just remember from when I was flipping through comic books, mm. when I was watching the cartoons, you would see those striking columns, whether they were the Ionic columns, the Doric columns, the or Corinthian the back columns. columns. Bad yeah. pun, I know. Yes. Um but they—that was part of what got me fascinated with seeing the architecture over in Europe. Was it looked so familiar mm. from both the art and those great and fantastic buildings you'll see in a downtown environment?
0: Well, and uh, between again the architecture, the the mythology, the gods, all of that stuff—it um, it, again resonates so much. This was early comic book characters centuries before comic books
1: yeah well one of the things in this movie that intrigued me was you have one character who thought he had dyslexia thought he had a adhd and on the one hand ignorance is bliss Mm -hmm. there was so much he didn't know about the mythology etc so he didn't come in with the age-old feud for instance, because he didn't know he was part of a family feud. Yeah. So ignorance is bliss. But on the other hand, when a Hydra is on the scene, he hasn't heard the added, you know, cut off one head, two more will grow in its place. Ignorance is not bliss when you're fighting a Hydra.
0: From a storyteller point of view, you've essentially got two main choices. Either your hero is like it was here with with Percy Jackson ignorant of, mm. of the relevant mythology mm-hmm. or they tend to be experts in it yes and both have pros and cons mm-hmm. you know they could have done the same sort of same sort of story with him having grown up hearing the stories knowing them and just having the answers and stuff like that
1: he could have been a child prodigy as opposed to someone who grew up isolated and on the outside
0: the other take i've seen uh, with, with, not necessarily this literal, you know, the, the gods kinds of stories, but other things is the, the, the character, either the hero or one of the sidekicks is really well versed in the stories. Mm hmm. So they're the expert, except for the fact the stories were all wrong. Yeah. So they're ignorant. Yes. It's, it's that other twist.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And at one point I was thinking we were going to have a fourth traveling along with them on their journey. We got Percy. We got his protector. Um,
1: we got uh, the obligatory the female. Rover. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, we've got um, Annabelle. The Annabeth. Annabeth. Sorry. That's okay. Um, so you've got the lead. You've got the the male sidekick. The female sidekick. And I thought we we're going to get a fourth, but then I realized, no, wait. Most storytelling structures, you've got the lead. You've got the other two. That's about all you need. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things where I don't know when the book was originally written compared to say Harry Potter, I think it was after.
1: That's an interesting point too. Yeah. But
0: there are some parallels here with Percy essentially being Harry, mm-hmm. um, Annabeth being uh not you know a- a- analogous to uh Hermione and um uh, Grover being kind of sort of like uh Ron in terms of the narrative roles they play. Yeah. So and I'm not saying it was formulaic or anything like that, because there's some major differences. Both stories, I think, really play into the hero's journey. And it's one of those things that I need to really kind of brush up on that, because I think there were certain parts, okay, he's the reluctant hero, he's going off to the magical land, he's coming back, the returning hero. And that one, they actually phrased it that way uh, at the end of the movie. Yes. So what are the other kind of you know points on that that hero's journey and where did they do it but the hero's journey tends to resonate with a lot of films star wars included because it's a classic iconic story structure and it works
1: yeah well and as we were watching it because you know that i don't mind a few quips during a movie at one point they're told, you need to go and you need to get three pearls so the three of you can return from Hades when you go to rescue the hero's mm-hmm. mother. At one point, you suddenly commented, they're one pearl short.
0: No, it took me until they got to Hades.
1: And, you know, I, I had been so in on the ride and just not thinking about the story but simply participating in the ride that when you asked me to stop and count, I said, okay, one pearl per person. What is John asking me? A thing? Oh, no, we didn't get sent to get a pearl to get mom out.
0: But then the minute we see Persephone, uh, Hades' uh, w- reluctant wife. Yeah. And her reaction to uh, to Grover. Yes. I'm like, well, he's staying. Yeah. Um, And again, it fit the story structure. So some of this arguably is predictable if you stop and think about it. But the sign of good writing is it it fits that. If you stop and think about it, you can figure out ahead because they've set the rules. They're following it. There's a story logic. But it's also an entertaining enough story, if well done, and I think this one was, that you don't sit there and analyze it. Yeah, You're enjoying the ride.
1: Yeah, and that was the thing with this one. It was a very enjoyable ride. Mm-hmm. Now, when we got to, I believe, well, the place where we got the first pearl, I think it was called Auntie M's Nursery.
0: Auntie M's Nursery. It was a, a nursery in terms of like a, uh, a gardening yeah. kind of a thing.
1: The moment we started walking through her gardening place. I realized this is Medusa's.
0: Well, the minute we hit Auntie M's, I'm like, you know, Wizard of Oz, no, they're not going to go there. This is mythology. M, M, Medusa. And again, the minute you see the first stone statue.
1: Yeah, and I started to comment to you on the fact that I loved the facial expressions on those statues. Mm-hmm. They really did a great job of capturing shock, horror, almost a sense of betrayal.
0: Some had that, some just seemed like just regular statues.
1: and Yeah, there were a few that looked like regular garden statues, because, you know, you got lower people into the nursery.
0: But there were also some that looked like they were from medieval times. Mm. So how did it get somewhere in the U.S.?
1: Well, you know, she's got to move around a bit. She develops a reputation.
0: I guess. Now, what was interesting, they're in there, they're scattering to to go search for the pearl.
1: Oh, the moment they said let's split up and search, I'm like bad
0: idea. Yeah, I'm like no, 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 stick together, guys. But yeah. no, they didn't listen. I hate it when that happens.
1: I know no matter how many times I call out to the screen, this scene reeks of scene from horror movie. Stay together. They don't listen to me.
0: That's how I'll know we've gotten to successful interactive entertainment. Uh-huh. When the characters just look at you and either tell you to shut up or actually listen
1: oh you wanted them to tell me to shut up too didn't you
0: i can see doing these movies 20 years from now and there's an ai kind of system like no don't go in there and they're like let's not go in there <laughs> i mean something where you could just chart the story that way it would be so fun um because there have been a couple of times it's like dudes if you just do this and granted i think some of the stories would wind up being a lot shorter or depending Wait. on the nature of the comments A lot longer.
1: Well, there have been one or two movies we've watched recently where they've given you know the red herring very early on, like at the five or ten minute mark, where you're supposed to think, okay, it's solved, it's all over. And I've looked at you and said, movie over, roll the end credits. Well,
0: there's also the YouTube uh, channel of of how it should have ended.
1: Yeah, see.
0: And they do a lot of things where if, if you take this one scene... And if the character actually thinks about what they already know, yeah, I see, they do something else. The movie ends, you know, say la vie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, they got to that point, and I was, you know, with the splitting up. It's like, okay, gather back up. That's just a bad plan or whatever. But we had um the the hysterical woman. I believe she was mm. called in the credits. Yes, yes. She played the general on Chuck.
1: Ah, oh, okay.
0: And is the wife of John Billingsley. Her name is, uh, uh, crap. We just saw the credits and I've already forgotten. Yeah. Um, I- she's a great actress, but the wife of uh, John Billingsley, um, from uh, Enterprise. He played Dr. Flox. And she did an awesome job.
1: She did. She was fabulous from the moment she came on hysterically screaming, you know, my husband got turned into a statue and we're going to die in here and this is a horrible place. Let's get out of here. And I swear she led Annabeth deeper into the place.
0: Mm -hmm. But as as Annabeth was getting that expository dialogue for the slower members of the audience, um, Grover had already figured it out.
1: Okay, now I'm going to say her name wrong because I cannot pronounce names to save my life, but her name is Bonita Frederici? Or something like that.
0: that. We'll, we'll go with that. Okay. She was also in um, Justified for a few episodes at one point. One of the Hill uh, country people from The Holler or something.
1: She is going to be on a show on Lifetime that is currently filming called Unreal that I was preparing oh, to tell you about. I
0: You had sent me the trailer for that. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. She's Um, been, again, all over the place.
1: Yeah, Unreal is going to be a show that's a behind-the-scenes fake show about making a reality show. Yeah. Yeah, and she does some great comedy. Well, what I liked
0: about this movie is that was not a big role. No. But they got a really good actress for it.
1: And, you know, if they hadn't gotten a good actress for it, those scenes would have been painful. I
0: don't know if it would have been painful. They would not have been memorable.
1: But, you know, she nailed those scenes and she was believably terrified Mm -hmm. and she was believable in that struggle to keep her eyes closed and fight the and it it was hard to get as an audience member in some respects. But Medusa had that hypnotic manner of speaking to you Mm -hmm. when you were resisting the urge to look at her. And she was trying to lull that hysterical woman into opening her eyes.
0: At some point, I want to get you watching Doctor Who because they take that aspect of, of what we saw with Medusa there and do something that is reminiscent of it yet completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think if you were to watch, it's like, wow, that's, that, that's cool. That's, that's, that's scary yeah. with what they do in Doctor Who. And here it was, again, really well done, but that was one of many minor roles mm-hmm. that they got some really good actors for. Yeah. And in, in one case, we were going through the credits at the end of the movie and we're like, oh, wait a sec, she was, this other actress was in there?
1: Yeah. One we we the,
0: actually go back to that scene.
1: Yeah. One of the gals from Eureka.
0: The one who played uh, Joe.
1: Yeah. Was listed as Hera. And we had picked out Dylan Neal,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, who Dilla was Neal Hermes.
0: from... Uh, Arrow, he played Professor Mm -hmm. Ivo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hyperion Bay, which he did with um, um, uh, Mark Paul Gosselaar.
1: Yeah, he did some Babylon 5. Uh,
0: The Babylon 5 he did was the TV movie Legend of the Rangers. He was Mm -hmm. the lead on that.
1: He's currently on Cedar Cove, and oh my gosh, he's amazing on that.
0: So, I mean, he's done a ton of stuff. And literally, his role is to dress like one of the gods, Mm -hmm. walk around for a bit, sit down, Mm -hmm. look at the camera once or twice walk off Mm -hmm. he didn't have a line of dialogue
1: i think in his close-up he was supposed to look surprised and he did and yes he did
0: probably because the camera was Mm -hmm. looking at no
1: yeah and erica sarah she uh she did not have a close-up she was never focused in a shot
0: yeah but i mean for negligible roles like that yeah they got some good people yeah now, part of it is first movie in a potential series.
1: True, true.
0: If you are going to show these gods later, do you keep the same actors? Can you that kind of a deal?
1: That's very true. And because I, they I got, don't know what because I haven't read the books. I don't know how much these gods figure into the next storylines.
0: I have a suspicion, having looked at the box for the next movie, that one, at least one of them will be back.
1: I would think, from what I know of actual mythology. Hera ought to figure into the future cuz Hera and Zeus had an epic marriage
0: I do know that or I suspect if I've got things right at least one of them one of the gods that we saw cuz we see the whole pantheon mm-hmm. there gets recast
1: interesting um yeah.
0: we're obviously going to watch that movie hopefully you soon. know soon um so we'll talk about mm-hmm. that when we get to that
1: now one of the things i positively loved in the movie that i'm assuming is from the book and i loved it so much it's now on my bucket list Mm.
0: (laughs) i know where you're going with this because as we were watching it, it's like okay they've got to go get the pearls the second location after nems was the parthenon in nashville tennessee and i'm like is that real that's cool we haven't ruined it yet (laughs) (laughs) And, <laughs> of course, we're going to be able to go see the uh, the original, yes. which hasn't held up that well.
1: Yes. The Parthenon in Nashville, I googled this. I was so excited. It was built in 1897. That was the original structure. They built a, quote, permanent version, 1925 to 1931. So they probably touched it up, made it last better. It is on five acres, in nashville and it was built as part of the tennessee centennial exposition and it just i mean they said it it's a replica they tried to get the colors right on everything and all the details as they were moving around inside there i was just blown away
0: yeah i thought it was uh, a really cool both um I mean, just story-wise, I thought it was cool. Yes. You got the gods, you know, are they real? You got a demigod you're following, boom, let's go to a Parthenon, but a fully functioning one. Oh, it's modern-day Tennessee, you know. That was cool. And the fact that we could potentially go to to Nashville at some point and just see what it would have looked like. Yeah. Fully built.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Athens, not exactly easy striking distance for most of us to get to. Mm -hmm. We've been referring to this upcoming trip as a bucket list trip beyond belief, but Nashville is much more reasonable of someday we could just go for the weekend and...
0: Oh, yeah, do a long weekend there or whatever. I mean, I'm not yeah. really into country music or whatever, but there's enough culturally, okay, this is this is cool or whatever,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, that it would be worth checking out. Mm-hmm. And certainly that would be one of the things to, oh, yeah. to make it worthwhile. But it makes me wonder how many such hidden i don't want to say treasures but potentially interesting things to some people there are just across either the u.s or the world mm-hmm. um so i thought that was fun i liked how that scene went yes but there were a few places in that scene and one or two other places where oh they're fighting the hydra and stuff like that and again it goes back to percy doesn't know his mythology uh he's fighting he's he's got a, i mean the fire breathing uh, hydra and stuff he's He's, he's defeating it, whatever. But at one point, his shield is too hot to handle, so he drops it. And I'm pretty sure he left there without it. Yeah. Yet, later, he conveniently has it. Yeah. So there are a few things of, wait, did he drop his sword? Did he ever pick it up? Yeah. That happened. And that could just be as simple as there were deleted scenes where he goes, picks it up, or, That's you know, one of his friends says, here, you, you dropped your shield kind of deal. So I usually don't get too worked up about that. Unless it's something where it is so egregious.
1: I'm more concerned with just how many hours Annabeth spent in the men's room.
0: I did think it was funny. Oh, let's wait until they close. And they went until an hour. There are people out there cleaning it, bad luck. But I mean, they, they camped out in the, the men's room for the day. <laughs> yes. Even including before it closed, I think. Yes. Now, what I want to know is at the end, they wind up uh, using Medusa's head to, to take mm-hmm. the the multi-headed hydra and turn it to a statue
1: and you know when people opened up the next morning what a surprise
0: the next scene is them at a diner and there's a big story coming on on the on the tv and i'm thinking you know that should be mysterious hydra statue found in the parthenon in nashville yes people you know how did they build this so quickly it wasn't there yesterday
1: yes
0: You know, authorities, you know, confused.
1: It's the proverbial story of the car that appears in the professor's office. Because it's the Hydra statue too big to get through any of the doors that magically appears inside the building.
0: I'm the kind of person that thinks it would be funny for like Comedy Central or something to do a fake TV newscast the end of the week where they have been watching all the shows all week. And they're reporting on all the crazy stuff that's happened.
1: Ah. Yes. Yes. America. This week. Yes. Yeah.
0: You know, mm-hmm. TV Land Tonight or whatever, you know, TV Land News or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. Something where it's like, you know, this this blew up on this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. you know. Romulans declare war or whatever kind of a, I don't know, it would just be funny. Well, um,
1: especially if they included the soap operas. Yes. Yes. Yes, cuz you could have notable figures in America who married, divorced, had major health crises.
0: Soap TV should do that one. <laughs> and I would do it very melodramatically.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah no. I mean, nighttime news does obituaries of celebrities. They cover when major celebrities get hospitalized, etc.
0: I think there's there's there there's some fun stuff that could be done with mm-hmm. that.
1: Now, I I did like Paying the ferryman Mm -hmm. to take them on the river Styx. I thought it was fascinating. The river Styx had no water. It just kind of had smoke.
0: It was kind of uh, a metaphorical river. Yeah. But that was one of the things where I thought the visual effects. I mean, this was a movie done in 2010, Mm -hmm. not that long ago. We were watching it on DVD because I I didn't get the Blu-ray at the time. And I thought pretty much throughout... One or two exceptions in the fight and the climax or whatever. I thought the effects were really well done.
1: I was a little worried when we saw Poseidon at the beginning. Only because I didn't realize that they were going to be showing the gods as 50,000 billion times taller than mortals and then having to shrink to mortal size.
0: What I loved about that scene at the beginning, you get him, he's coming out of the water, he's you know 50 feet, 100 feet tall or whatever, he's walking by a A boardwalk and somebody's, you get the sense of scale.
1: Yeah, somebody fishing.
0: He's on land now and then he realized he's got to scale down. And you see the water that he's made of kind of getting spun back out to the ocean. Yeah. They they sold the shrinking down. They sold the sense of scale. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was poorly composited or anything.
1: No, and the way the water kind of whooshed back out into the tide, I liked. And once I realized what I was seeing, I was like, ah, okay, much better. I'm I'm happy now.
0: What was fun about that though is by the time we actually get to Olympus at the end and see all of the gods, they're all at the same scale of each other. Mm-hmm. So when Percy comes in you realize, Oh yeah, he's really tiny in comparison to them. I remember that from the beginning of the film now. Yeah. But it gave that yeah. sense of grandiose scale.
1: Well, and Percy is all excited. He wants them to stop. Don't go to war. I've got what you want. And he comes running in. Hello. And then he looks up and he's like, okay, I knew I was coming into a room full of adults. But really? It's
0: like, wow, this is impressive. It, there was a sense of spectacle.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: You know, of course, I was sitting there wondering. It's like, okay, you're you're, you're one of the gods. You're laying out your, your floor plan. Let's have a semicircle and just have it all, everyone sitting and staring at, at, what exactly? You know, the entryway that uh, nobody ought to be coming in because you're uh, all the gods and they're not. Yeah. So, th- those sorts of things always. It's like whenever you watch a uh, sitcom and everybody sits at three sides of the table but nobody at the other one because that's where the TVs, you know, camera. allow you to see. Yeah, yeah. The camera. Um, at least with Archie Bunker's place uh, or, or All in the Family and stuff. That was like where the TV was. Yes. So it's like you're looking through your TV through theirs. So that worked. Mm-hmm. But again, the, the way they sold uh, Olympus, the scale of the gods, the power of the gods.
1: And I liked the elevator, which to my way of thinking was in the Empire State Building. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I liked the elevator up to Olympus, and when you first stepped out and got that eyeful of i was referring to it as the ultimate acropolis mm-hmm. um having not yet been to the acropolis and looking forward to that immensely uh but it was just you stepped out and had all these amazing temples and greek structures and it was kind of like what i've always thought my first sight of the acropolis might be like
0: well it's interesting because We'd already seen at Camp Half-Blood, where Percy goes to get trained, his mom can't get in. Yes. Because she's not a Half-Blood. There's a there's a force field barrier of some sort. Okay, not sure who put that there, but that's fine. Then, when they're going out of the elevator at Mount Olympus, she can't get out because she has no god blood in her at all, whereas the demigods, that's enough to get through. Yep,
1: yeah, but she knew the magic circuit breaker code. To open the doors to the elevator, and she knew how to get them up to Olympus.
0: I was puzzled by that, because at the beginning, we see Zeus throw the lightning. Yeah. Which is odd, because he'd lost his lightning at that point. Okay, doesn't make sense, but we'll go with that. And suddenly it's just a magical hallway to to Olympus. Whereas now, somehow there's an actual elevator and all of this stuff and a magic secret code. And how come his mom, uh, Percy's mom, knows?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking. You know, there's something in the book, hopefully, that explains this. I'm wondering if she had to go to Olympus to give birth to a demigod for she some couldn't. reason.
0: Well, actually, while having, uh, while carrying Percy, yeah, she might have been able to at that point get in. That's, That's an interesting concept. Hmm.
1: That's what I'm curious about.
0: Are you planning on reading the book?
1: I. I will openly admit watching the movie made me want to read the book
0: i can see that if, um
1: i don't I, have a copy yet so this may have tempted me into picking it up
0: if i thought i had the time to do that it's been a while since i've read a, a prose novel and stuff um just because of all the comics i'm reading the podcasting i'm doing you know having a job these demands on my time crazy the as they are.
1: real world i know
0: but certainly i would be curious about this one um i thought it was was well done well told Again, there were certain things, the 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 hero's journey, stuff like that, I recognized out of the story. But again,
1: mm-hmm.
0: iconic storytelling format, it would be almost unusual not to have that kind of a thing.
1: Well, and for me, there were no aspects of the mythology that instantly hit me as a, wait a sec, that's not how I remember it. You know, there were, it took them a while to explain Persephone the way I wanted them to. Mm-hmm. Which is, when you think of Persephone, think of the harvesting seasons and think of a seed going into the ground. So Persephone, just like when you're harvesting crops, she has three months above ground. Okay. Okay, that's, that's the best way to remember and they think of Persephone. They mentioned the allotted
0: time, but they hadn't gotten to that level of, of explanation. But I don't think they needed to, and it would have come across as exposition.
1: Yeah, but I wished that there was some way that they could explain that right now she has a quarter of the year free from Hades because she betrayed Hades because she didn't want to be bound to him year round for all eternity.
0: The way they could have put that in at the end after Grover's been released, Mm -hmm. you know, Percy could have actually apologized, hey, I I know I kind of interrupted stuff down there. It's like, oh, don't worry, she'll be up and got a three-month, you know. Yeah. Uh, By the way, boss, I'm taking my vacation then, kind of, you know. Yeah. There are things they could have done to toss that in. What I liked is that would have been, like much of the other stuff, cool for people in the know Mm -hmm. and enough for those not to get it. Yeah. Without feeling like, oh, geez, they've got to explain the Greek gods.
1: Yes. But for quite a while early on, they were making it sound like Persephone was always down in Mm -hmm. Hades with him. And when they finally threw in that she had some time away from him, Mm -hmm. they weren't saying how much and why it mattered so much to her. Yeah. So I really felt that her betrayal of Hades wasn't well explained and didn't make as much sense as it could have. But, again, she
0: was a character that wasn't introduced until at least two-thirds of the way through. Yeah. And wasn't one of the focal characters. But I felt we got a good explanation for for the amount of story she was in for.
1: Yeah. Well, she was a character that, until they gave her a line of dialogue to explain her motives, I was sitting there trying to fish around with the, okay, whose side is she on?
0: Yeah. There was a couple of places where it's like, why is who doing what again? Mm Mm-hmm. But they very quick, they played fair and explained a lot of the stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And there's still one or two, it's like, I get he did what he did, but it was almost not evil for the sake of evil.
1: Yeah, well, I didn't trust Luke from the time we went and visited him playing video games. But I wondered when Luke stepped up to take Percy on if we should trust him.
0: At that point, I was wondering, but he seemed to do pretty well. What got me is the, I know where their flag is in the training thing. hmm He gets into a fight. Oh, Percy, go figure it out on your own. Go find it. Yeah. All right. But that training thing, uh, the the capture the flag bit, was a, a turning point for Percy early on, going from the reluctant hero to the I can do this sort mm-hmm. of a thing. It really showed the uh, he is Poseidon's son. Yes. The whole water power, all of that. It really kicks off the relationship between him and uh, uh, Annabeth. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, a lot of the stuff they did there, Luke was almost an incidental character. Mm -hmm. But he was fun. He was enjoyable to watch had he not turned evil or been evil. Again, he was the one I was expecting to join the others on their quest.
1: Yeah. And And, I can see that.
0: And I'm curious, do we get anything with him in further movies or books?
1: Yeah, it was unclear if he was down, but not necessarily out at the end.
0: I took him as down, but not out, because I don't think Percy killed him.
1: Yeah, I don't think Percy is that type of person.
0: He's more heroic than that by nature.
1: But we weren't really shown what kind of punishment he faced.
0: And it it may not have been in the book. It may be, again, something for later. Don't know. Again, not being versed in the series of books. Now, granted, these are, are... I don't say they're kids' books. They're not. I mean,
1: well, it was funny because I was teasing you. They put a notice up at the beginning about the books and it said that they were written for middle school age.
0: It took the. It was basically saying that the 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 gods of Olympus have inspired storytellers for, for generations. But it took uh whatever the author's name was Rick, Rick Rorden. Rick Rorden to make them suitable for middle-aged students.
1: Yes, to which I responded, "Oh, of course, our friends finally recommended something appropriate for my age group."
0: But at no point did I feel this was talking down, no, or simplified of a story or something like that. It was something that if the book, if the movie is an accurate reflection of the book, I would think the book is a good enticing and challenging but not overly challenging Uh, story for yeah for kids that age
1: i can understand what that tag line is saying perfectly because it never ceases to amaze me how many teenagers will tell you the iliad is the most horrible boring thing they've ever been asked to read but it's probably one of the most compelling war stories i mean it's the battle of troy but the language is so difficult to get through
0: i think there are a lot of classic stories most of the greco-roman mythology fits into this uh, the sherlock holmes stories i think fit into this to a degree um robin hood uh, king arthur a lot of stuff like that that the stories are, are brilliant they're fun they're fascinating the actual literature of them
1: Mm -hmm.
0: is dated. It feels stiff. I mean, Shakespeare. Yeah. It's hard to read.
1: Feeling like you have to dig through the language to find the story.
0: Well, you've got to translate it. Yeah. To take some of the original stuff and translate it from either technically a different language, but even stuff that was in English, but old English or whatever, Mm -hmm. to current English. Yeah. And give you that frame of reference is, is challenging and stuff. So, to take something that, that captures the cool, wow aspects of the gods yeah. of, of, you know, Olympus, that, that mythology, that, that sense of magic, of, of supernatural, mm-hmm. and bring it into a hey, this is cool and works in the modern context. Yeah. Because while these were gods of, of ancient uh, Greece and stuff, Uh, Greece, Roman, I always get them confused Well,
1: they did both
0: They they were both, just different names But to take stuff from from millennium ago And make them fit modern day
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, the only one That I felt a little bit more explanation on Would have worked Was um, um, Charon, the trainer Yes How he was at the school The way he was
1: Yeah, we got virtually nothing on him I mean,
0: he's a centaur you know, he's a big guy. Yeah. You know, and he was in a wheelchair at the school or whatever. At first, I thought he was just a museum curator. Yeah. So the the intro there could have been better. But where was the rest of him? Yeah. In the wheelchair. Anyways, it didn't matter. Um. Well, that, visually, though, when he was in, uh, in the Centaur and stuff.
1: He was amazing.
0: They had to do either rotoscoping or motion capture. Seeing a technical, how did they make some of this
1: work? Well, and the fact that he did the sidestepping so well mm-hmm. in the centaur mode was very nice you know and just the little things that it caught me in the moment where i was like you know it's irrelevant to the entertainment value of the movie is things like medusa commenting on, uh, I want to see your eyes, to Percy Jackson, because I've heard they're as blue as, I forget which sea, mm-hmm. from ancient times. Well, in ancient times, they didn't refer to the seas as being blue because they couldn't see the water as being blue because the eyes had not, de- our human eyes oh. had not developed that way. And they were still referring to them, actually, as um, more the color of wines.
0: That's interesting.
1: And, you know, so you look at literal translations from these ancient poems, mm-hmm. and you'll see a, more of a reddish and purplish description to the color of water in out in the seas and the oceans. And, you know, she said it and I thought, well, okay, that's a modern description of water, not an ancient one, but I'll let it go.
0: Poetic license. It exactly. Would I mean, yeah, you've got to figure there are going to be some translations. Along those lines, speaking of of having modern elements in what's otherwise a fairly non-modern setting. Back at the camp, when we get the video game stuff, where did he get the electricity?
1: That's what I was wondering. How did he have any of that set up?
0: Because, I mean, they're cooking their meals over open flame here. Yeah. Yeah. I did like the camp. Um, The shot we ended the movie on was a nice let's pull back. The, the by the lakeside when they are fighting and stuff it was
1: for me the camp was an awesome blend of i kind of want to say the visuals from 300 and my favorite visuals of almost any robin hood camp
0: i was going to go with a robin hood camp
1: but it had kind of the 300 i'm in my battle gear and i'm training yeah. feel to it
0: yeah and sense of size and scale
1: yeah I was surprised
0: how many people were in the camps.
1: They really blended kind of the best of the two, in my opinion, and I really enjoyed the camp.
0: I think they did a really good job on finding a location for that.
1: Yeah.
0: Kind of the set design and and the feel of it. Mm -hmm. It Visually, in terms of not just the visual effects, but the visual style, tone, they really pulled it off.
1: Yeah, I liked it being on the side of the water with the wood lookout tower. Mm -hmm. It just had a great feel to it.
0: It's the kind of thing this camp could have been there for untold ages. And they would have located it in that kind of a place. It just seems natural.
1: Yeah, well, and it felt like it was in the kind of place where nobody would stumble across it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, this was a, a fun film. I will say that going in, I was a little concerned because I hadn't heard about the lead actor. Mm. don't know i'm sure he's done some other stuff but it was an actor i wasn't familiar with and i'm like you know just like with harry potter if you cast the wrong
1: kid true this kid did well he did and you know i didn't think to look up any of the cast i didn't even look at the uh, dvd box before we threw it in so it started off and right off the bat i was like Okay, I already recognized someone up on the screen. First of all, I'm asking you, when was this done and who is on the screen right well, now? <laughs>
0: we start with Kevin McKidd yes. as Poseidon and Sean Bean as, uh, as Zeus.
1: Yeah, and right in that instant, I was like, okay, we are d- watching a well cast film. I can already tell because I loved their performances in that opening.
0: Well, and that goes back to they cast name actors in many places. Now Zeus and Poseidon; those are major roles. They needed to do that.
1: True, true. But
0: again, Dylan Neal, uh, Dylan Neal. I mean, great actor and stuff. Not necessarily a superstar.
1: But no, solid, but
0: proven lead actor material. Yeah. For a walk-on role.
1: Yeah. Well, and uh, Melina Kakarides, who was the lead on Providence, was one of the leads on CSI New York for mm-hmm. several seasons really great actress with a greek background um well
0: um uh, persephone uh, that was um rosario dawson yes uh medusa was um uma thurman uma thurman
1: the moment i saw her come out as medusa i just started laughing because i was like i saw her name in the opening credits and i wondered who she would be and she's perfect for medusa it's just one of those characters that you know the moment you see her doing it, she's going to nail it.
0: hmm Yeah. There's an aspect of this world that reminds me of kind of Once Upon a Time. Yes. Let's get some, some actors we're familiar with, in some cases, drop them into a couple of roles.
1: I loved Pierce Brosnan in the uh, museum. Yeah. I mean, Don't get me wrong. As the centaur, I really, really enjoyed him. He was doing great, but- In that opening for him back in the museum, I really enjoyed the way he was playing that scene.
0: I've been a fan of of him as an actor for a long time.
1: Oh, too many decades for us to confess to. I mean, going
0: at least as far back as um, uh, uh, Remington Remington Steel. I mean, if you haven't watched the pilot for that, the writing on that was phenomenal. At one point, he's impersonating two people simultaneously. Yeah. And it's like just, wow, setting that writing up. Brilliant. Um, so, I mean, again, he was it was a well cast movie. Even a few of the other students that I don't think had a line of dialogue. It's like where well, it's like that guy there we recognized from uh, Continuum. He played uh, Julian,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: you know, and a few things like that. Now, part of it is just oh, they were casting up in um, in Canada, so mm-hmm. some familiar actors from from that neck of the woods and stuff. But these well are people nice. who've proven to have. Solid acting jobs.
1: The uh the stepfather.
0: Uh Joe Um
1: Pantaleone.
0: Pantaleone from uh, The Matrix and the Daredevil movie and uh mm-hmm. tons of other stuff.
1: I loved his being interviewed on the news when uh, his wife and stepson went missing. That was hilarious to me.
0: Yeah, the kid's been drinking, and he's doing this. He basically making vilifying the kid. Yes. But given the relationship they had,
1: not surprising. <laughs> Red- just priceless.
0: But I also like the payoff on that character, in so much as the explanation for why his uh, Percy's mother was staying with him. Yes, the stench of him masked Percy's blood. Yes, the the god smell or whatever of him. Yes, and of course that was kind of already set up with Medusa. She could smell the the godliness of these kids. Yeah. So it was a it was a fun movie. It's a fun world. I think it it played well. Uh, there is a second film. Um, there are more books. Yeah. I don't know if there are going to be more films or not. Uh, I hope so. Uh, it It's something I would definitely want to follow. It's also something that, granted, you'd need to recast. I could see working as a, uh, a TV show. Yes. You know, kind of like a Game of Thrones sort of a thing. hmm So it was, again, a lot of fun. Well done.
1: Yeah, well, and it's funny, because at the beginning of the movie, you know, as it was just opening, you asked me if I felt I should expect sort of a Hogwarts Mm Academy-type location. I said, well, you know, probably. Um, And this was, uh, the book was written eight years after Harry Potter. Okay. Um, But what intrigued me was, by the end, he is at uh, Camp Half-Blood, which is is...
0: Their equivalent of Hogwarts.
1: Yes and no, because, I mean, it. It is somewhere for them to train, but it's an outdoor camp where they're more roughing it. Now, as you point out... I'm not
0: saying it's a direct translation, but it serves the same purpose. You go there to get trained, you can go back to your normal life.
1: True, but he started out at a very preppy, uh, college prep, not quite boarding school looking place that visually looked more like Hogwarts. So I thought it was kind of funny that he transitioned from the place that looked more like Hogwarts to the place that functioned more like Hogwarts. Yeah. And I think for a TV series, being set or based out of Camp Half-Blood could be very interesting. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Because you could meet the other students, other demigods Mm -hmm. of varying degrees. Yeah. It's something that not only could they do everything from the books but they could also have shorter kind of either stories in between or subplots mm-hmm. that really flush out the 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 Pantheon's children. Yeah. So I think it could work really well, and I think special effects at t- the TV level certainly are there. Yeah. I mean, if sci-fi were to do this sort of a thing, yeah. it's not technically science fiction, it'd still be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, History Channel for that matter. Yes. I mean, it gives a relevance to the the ancient gods and the mythology and stuff that, again, as a comic book fan, I've been kind of inundated with to varying degrees in varying ways over the decades. So anything else? Is that pretty much it?
1: I think that's it.
0: When we get a chance, we will uh, watch the second film. So expect to see a, a follow up episode covering percy jackson and uh, percy jackson colon sea of monsters as soon as we get around doing that works for me cool the show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode thanks for listening